I'm ready. I'm ready. You do ready? I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, oh hold on. Now, now, man, we got Goatee over here, man. Shit. Now, now, I got to turn down levels because Goatee keeps on trying to come in and fuck up our show, man. <laughs> Shit. Let's do this. Uh, there hasn't been a Let's Do This episode in a year and a half. <laughs> Sorry, that's just kind of... I listen to old Let's Do This, and it's it's different than that's what they like, do now. That's like watching old, episode, uh, old episodes of the news. <laughs> <laughs> old episodes of the... Like, they're just... Oh, really fast. Uh, something interesting I wanted to mention. And by the way, welcome to Wages of Cinema, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. Yeah. Um, recently, somebody posted on my Facebook this video uh, from 1982 of this guy on the news doing a... Uh, uh, a, a summer movie preview in 1982. Now, remember, this is the summer when you had E.T., you had uh, The Thing, you had yeah. Blade Runner, Tron. But the one that was interesting was when he got to talking about Wrath of Khan. Um, he, now, you know, you've, you've come on me, you've come down me a couple of times for giving away a couple of twists in movies. Yeah. This is a guy, though, on the news doing a summer movie preview in 1982... And he gives away the end of Wrath of Khan. He actually... Why? No, and the way that he says it is... Now, and, uh, spoilers. Um, now, he says it in such a way where he's like doing his newsman voice. And he's like, now there's a... Twi now there's a, uh, a sudden thing that happens at the end of this movie where Spock uh, dies. But don't worry. He, uh, these characters always come back in the next movie. I'm, I'm not. I'm. am serious. He re literally said it like that. That's like saying. That's like spoiling the end of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. And the way that he said it was in an incredibly dickish way too. The fact that oh, you you don't really care about these movies. You know, it's Star Trek. These characters always come back. No, you can't. like like we would know if you go into see Wrath of Khan the first time in 1982, not knowing the ending is going to happen. That's really upsetting. Like, yeah. there have been, you know, grown men have cried watching the end of Wrath of Khan. Like, like Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza. Did they cry watching Wrath of Khan? No, like, there was an episode where, like, George's fiance just died, and, and Jerry told them, told the, uh, told uh, her parents, like, oh, she's not dead as long as we remember her. And George's like, where's that from? Star Trek II. Oh, Wrath <laughs> of Khan. And he's just like, man, it was a, it's a real thing when Spock died. And they're both, like, really quiet for a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like for... That's kind of the... Like, it's actually been in polls. Guys, like, say, oh, the only things I cry about are when, you know, some old sports guy retires or the end of Wrath of Khan. They're lying because they haven't mentioned the Iron Giant. Super <laughs> See, I, I could see a tear just starting <laughs> Sometimes I just, I just stop and I think about... Everything in the Iron Giant, and then I'm like, no, gotta stop thinking, gotta stop thinking. Right. Yeah. It. Uh, the same. The same thing happens to me with another movie called Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Have you seen that? Sounds familiar. It's uh, a movie. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, one thing I wanted to mention really briefly before we begin. Now, I was just curious about this because uh, I was thinking earlier today in regards to. Uh, well, one of the movies that I'm going to be talking about in the Two Minute Movie Mile. I don't know if I should spoil it. I guess in a way I kind of have to. In order to talk about it, yeah. Um, uh, how do I bring this up? Okay, uh, you know, I actually don't have to mention that. But is there? Do you ever have something with that 
you find so troubling that it stops you from watching a movie, or you can't watch that movie again, even if it does something really well. Like, a friend of mine, I remember this years ago, like, I asked him, we'd, I'd recently seen I Am Legend, and I asked him, uh, you know, so what'd you think of it? He's like, oh, it was a good movie. Uh, I couldn't take that scene with Will Smith and the dog. I just, I have a problem with scenes like that with dogs in movies. I guess because he meant that, like, all of a sudden he's feeling an emotional thing, and usually this is like, this is like a friend of mine who is huh. like a tough guy. He liked to go movies, you know, men's movies, and this was a movie where there's a very sad scene involving a dog, and uh, it's like he couldn't take it. I've never really had, um, I've never, I've only had moments, I had moments like that when, uh, when I was very young. Like after the first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I never wanted to see it again. Really? Because Why? of the ending where they open up the Ark of the Covenant. Did that mess that, you up? Yeah, I was I was not ready for the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> but uh, and, that, uh, well, and that, it would be yeah. things like disturbing like deaths in the end of films where I'm like I don't really want to see that again. Oh, I uh, see. Now that I'm older, I'm kind of over it. Uh, right. But I but the only reason I really don't want to see a movie again is if I just I. Another movie I don't, I don't want to see again is like Borat. Why? Uh, because I don't uh, because I don't like movies where people are just kind of made to look like fools and even though and, and are in, re, in really embarrassing situations. But most of the jokes in that movie are really at Borat's expense. I would uh, now I know that he has real like he has real Borat, like situations with but the people. Thing is, Borat but, is a character in that film. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is just themselves, hmm. and it's played a little. And it seems a little too real, and everything seems really uncomfortable to me. Like movies make me uncomfortable in that sense, like in a social way. Uh, but I mean, uh, that's. But it's not as if like if someone was like watching Borat, I would be like, oh, turn this off. I'd just be like, oh, all right, that was a funny scene. And Borat's a good movie. I don't have any objections to it. It's just personally, I just don't like. I, like I get that. what you're saying. Uh, but no, I've never really had a problem like that, like the one you've mentioned. Okay. Um, I was just curious about that. I think uh, that when you melt the face off a Nazi, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I might have mentioned in the past about um, my aversion to anything having to do with teeth in a movie. You know, like anything like Old Boy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh god. Just like your wife's uh, aversion oh. to things with eyes. Yeah, that too. I, and Don't actually, show her uh, zombie. What happened in zombie that? Uh, the uh, the the wooden shard. Oh yeah, yeah. The, oh god, I remember actually one of the. Th There's a very goofy moment like that in uh, Evolving Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, and I just remember this because I saw it at a pretty young age, and when I started to just watch slasher movies for the first time, and uh, there's a moment where Jason picks up a guy by like the skull with both hands and crush, and you see like him crushing his head to the point where one of his eyeballs pops out. There's a similar scene in a James Bond movie called License to Kill. In a James Bond movie, really? There's there's a, there's a really gruesome death, which is really kind of... Uh, in that case, I don't think I want to see that movie again for that reason. Hmm. So I think that's I think maybe that's my thing. Really gruesome deaths. Okay. I th some of them are just uh, they don't they don't really scare me. They just kind of make me feel bad. <laughs> But, like, like, but oh, you could that... watch, but you could watch something like uh, Fury Road again. That has oh, some yeah. gruesome deaths. No, but those are just like violent deaths, not like sadistic deaths. Uh, but, and besides, License to Kill isn't very good anyway. No. So, um, all right. So I was just kind of curious to ask about that. On a personal something... note, uh, 
Uh, you and I, you notice this watching Welcome to the Basement. Yes, and uh, specifically, uh, this is the latest episode as part of their Sci-Fi July month. Uh, Invaders. In, sorry. Invaders from Mars. Yes. Uh, so they reviewed that movie, and at the end, they read the fan mail. Uh, they mentioned my name in a postcard. Yeah. I sent them a postcard. The funny thing about that to me is that this is the you, second time I've seen a postcard of mine on that show. Well, no, but this is this the first time they've acknowledged it? Because yes. before, they actually, I remember they, you could see your postcard, but they didn't read it. Yeah, they, they didn't get to it, or they didn't include it in the cut. And the funny thing was, I was when I was watching it and that came up, I was like, oh, very nice. And I, I it was it was in a kind of selfish way, because it's like... Yeah, there's no way that there's another Andrew who watches no. this show in all of New Jersey. Probably not. <laughs> I asked them on the back if they had seen Alexander. Oh, okay. Uh, they didn't respond to that? They didn't respond to that because either they didn't have time or uh, they haven't seen it. So, Well, that's also a different segment on the show, right? Yeah, but sometimes they, 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 uh, they do it. But uh, I was just glad they, I'm glad they mentioned my name. Thanks, guys. Yes. Uh, thank you to Matt and... Uh, oh, Craig. God damn it! Yes. Why like, that, uh, oh, here, uh, and I was just watching a, a whole thing of of Welcome to Basements before he came over. So that's like Matt passed in the postcard. He's like, oh, and here's one from Andrew from the Jersey Shore. He's like, oh, the Sunshine State. <laughs> uh, yes. I'll write him a third postcard anyway. All right, so let's, so get, let's get on to, work. to the show, All right. everybody. And uh, we got the two-minute movie mile where we talk about the movies that we have uh, just seen uh, uh, in the past week or so. And uh, we actually just recorded, uh, actually about like a week and a half ago, uh, we're doing this now to kind of catch up and uh, get back to our usual schedule. Um, we're not incompetent. Nope, not at all. Uh, and before, so, uh, we're gonna, so let's, we're going to talk about a movie we both saw. A new movie. Yes. So let's daily double this. We'll do this for four minutes. <laughs> and we, well, the movie we're going to talk about is Ant-Man. The story of the guy from Unchain Andalou. Right. So, <laughs> let's get started. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So, um, this is a fun movie. Yeah, I liked it. I, you know, I, I think by this point, I'm not going to say that Marvel has a formula, but I do think that there are things watching this movie that felt kind of uh, recognizable to an extent. How do you mean? Well, I mean, it, it elements like almost from Iron Man, you know, the the story of like somebody who's created this new technology, and if it suddenly get put in the wrong hands, like the the villain will be will use it to make devastating choices. Yes, you're right. And, I mean, there. I guess the twi difference here is that, you know, when you saw I the first Iron Man, uh, you had Tony Stark and Obadiah Stane. Here Obadiah Stane seemed to have a plan, and he seemed to be... He had a long-term goal to basically take over the company. Yeah, there was... To me, I, I found Obadiah Stane kind of more interesting as a villain also, than... Also, he was uh, played by Jeff Bridges. That, so. too. That helps. Jeff, uh, And in this one, you have Corey Stoll, who plays... Um, Something cross. Yeah, something cross. Yeah, that, that base works. A.K.A. Yellow Jacket. Yeah. Um, and I like Corey Stoll a lot as an actor. It's not the best villain. Oh, no. He's just, he's basically just a megalomaniac. And you can't yeah. really sort out From, his goals. Like, on one hand, he's just like, oh, I want to sell this to make money. And then on the other hand, he's like, oh, I want to show my old mentor that I can, I'm better than him. And I, it doesn't really... I think that they try really to... Great. I think they try to explain it a little bit by maybe that uh, if you stand too close to the PIM particles, it messes with your brain. 
But I didn't really get that. No, I didn't really get that. But, and, and, you know, if it was, like, if he was, like, affected by brain particles, then, like, yeah, they should try to help him instead of, you Um, know, the end, instead of whatever. mm -hmm. uh, Now, the good things about this movie... um, Paul Rudd is fun. And here's the one I thing like about Michael Paul Douglas, Rudd. too. You once asked me if I'd seen a Paul Rudd movie, and I said, who's Paul Rudd? Because he's one of those people who just seems to have gone under my radar totally. Mm. Like, I haven't seen a Paul Rudd movie before this moment. That, that I just, I don't find, I find that so confounding. Yeah, but he was good in this. He was yeah, funny. Yeah, he, he was played, good. He, put, he played a decent character. He, uh... Yeah, and uh, Michael uh, Douglas was a great mentor. Yes, but he was basically just Michael Douglas. Yeah, I can't I complain, but... Still, everybody was acting well. Evangeline Lilly, right, and his daughter. Uh, well, here's an interesting thing I I sort of picked and all up the side on characters. too. Yeah, the side characters. Uh, Michael Pena I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, occasionally getting a little bit obnoxious in a couple of parts. Uh, he didn't feel obnoxious to me. He he was he was used sparingly. I think. Okay. He, he no, was, no, no, no. I'm no sparingly. Yeah, that was fine. Did you catch a little bit of the Edgar Wright moments? Yes. Because you know he is still credited as writing the script. He's yes. just not the director. I can really sense there were three moments I can think of right now. I feel like in the Edgar montages, like when Michael Pena is describing how he uh, found out about a piece of information right. and he goes through like they go through a montage of the other characters talking but you hear Michael Pena's voice. Yeah. That felt like an Edgar Wright thing. I think you're right. And uh, yeah, you can really feel Edgar's, Edgar Wright's presence in this. It's too bad he walked away from the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah, he, it might have. He maybe could have made it a little more original. Like again, I I enjoyed the movie. I felt like it was still something that even if it's not something that we've seen other Marvel movies, I feel like it's something we've seen other action comedy type movies. Other, but still, uh, this is a movie I'd, I'd revisit again. I would revisit it at some point. Yeah, I think that uh, it it has a lot of charm. Uh, you have you you have a good basic through line with. Um, Scott Lang just trying to be with his daughter. Right. It might be just like a totally average action movie if it weren't for the humor. Yeah, this the, is the what humor I've always helps. thought with 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 mediocre action movies that if you really just played up the humor and just looked at it from another angle, you would it would be much better. I think this is a successful effect. All right, we're t- time's up. Great, great. Um, hold on, just one second. Um, I just had to get my phone. And Goatsy was, you know, chopping on my phone or stuff. Act like a professional, Jack. I know. Get your phone. I know. I was distracted by the world at large, which is a very sad and dangerous place. Movies help distract us from the sad and dangerous. All right, so you technically saw one more movie than I did, so you were going to go first. Let's just do this, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. One, two, three, go. Um, Amy. uh, You've heard of Amy Winehouse? Yes. That sounds familiar. Uh, this is a, a documentary looking back on her life. I've seen this ad several times on YouTube. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's popped up for you there. Uh, the interesting thing about this movie, uh, there are a couple of things. Um, now, wait, before you go on, it's a biopic about a musician. No, not a biopic, a documentary. A documentary? Yes. Oh, well, that's different. Yes, very different. Right, no, there are no actors playing these real people. Um, I must have No, I don't know why you thought that. But anyway, um, what you get with this movie is the story of Amy Winehouse's life as a singer. Uh, She started off as like a jazz singer in England. Uh, In blackface. No, no. (laughs) Jeez, get your mind out of the gutter. Uh, Mammy. Yeah, she, no, no, she really patterned herself after like the classic 
uh, jazz singers, people like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughn. Um, and she, her first album was most like a jazz album, and then she, her next album became a pop album. If you, you might have heard the song Rehab somewhere at some point. It won a bunch of Grammys. But then what happened was uh, the media... Like, I mean, she was addicted to drugs and alcohol, but the media kind of pounced on her over and over again mm-hmm. and did that thing that, you know, is kind of sad when... It's one thing if, you know, you look at a celebrity figure and, you know, A, they might be able to take it better, like a Kardashian, and B, if they don't really do anything, like a Kardashian. <laughs> but Amy Winehouse actually had a lot of talent, and she was kind of a fragile person. And so the movie is told through uh, video clips of... She shot... There were a lot of home movies of her and also of her performances. Um, so I liked the movie. I wish maybe they had gone with the conventional approach, um, possibly. Uh, you know, because you just hear voices. Yeah, I mean, it is basically a behind... It's a behind-the-music movie, but it's a good one. And it made me want to check out more of her music, uh, especially In My Bed. Time. Which is a great song. Uh, All right. Amy Winehouse. Corey didn't like that movie, though. Just because of the video. She thought it was like an overblown YouTube movie. Alright. Alright, so, ready, set, go! Alright, this week is basically just going to be a horror fest for me. First one I saw was a a, uh, movie by Mario Bava, Blood and Black Lace. I'm not... I don't think I've seen this one. Okay, so it's basically the story of a fashion salon full of beautiful women... One of them gets murdered by a by a masked guy in kind of a white Rorschach mask. Okay. Uh, and well, that so it's a giallo. Yeah, it's a giallo, and it's basically the murder of all these people as they find this murdered woman's diary, and uh-huh. people are investigating. Uh, and then there's a twist in the middle where you figure out why everything's happening. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense because <laughs> because really from the beginning until the middle we don't have a main character. Okay. It's basically following. Each murder victim, as they're about to be murdered, kind of, uh, uh, it's like a slasher movie where nobody is really important. Oh, uh, okay. And it's, uh... Like, uh, does and, it have style? Because Mario Baba was known as one of the masters in yeah, Italian horror. And, you know, uh... Is it kind of, now, when I hear this title and I picture it, was it trashy? Not really trashy. I mean, it's very Italian. I don't. I, I can't hey. put my finger on what that means, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, but uh, and the ending is kind of contrived. Okay. Like well, plot, that sometimes happens with these kind of movies. It has a poor plot. the The setting is underutilized. Like this could have been anywhere. It could have been like a bakery for okay. all we knew. Like for uh, this fashion salon, and it doesn't really. Uh, and you feel as if it's it was just written. As it went along, oh. because the plot doesn't really come together in any meaningful way. Mm. Uh, there are some creative things about it, uh, in creative some kills. murders, but uh, other than that, it doesn't really have much going for it. Uh, that's a shame because I I really like some of Mario Bava's movies like Black Sunday and Black Sabbath, all the black movies. Time. All right. You know he. Uh, yeah. He a lot of his movies also got cut. Uh, for American release. Alright, your turn. Oh, hold on a second. I've got to stop my phone here. Yeah, now, now I'm not being pro- unprofessional. Is your phone running? My, my phone is being unprofessional. My, <laughs> is your phone running? Well, I better go catch it. Sorry. No, nah, that, that was basically what I was going for. Yeah, that, you would have made that joke. Alright, are you all set? Well, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll be ready by the time you go. Alright, so, alright. Ready, set, go. Magic Mike XXL. All right, is Matthew McConaughey in this? 
No. And that's well, one of the why most. Why should we see it? Well, honestly, I don't know if you should. Um, <laughs> he he was one of the best things about that first movie. I mean, you know, aside, you know, he was just a very entertaining presence in that film. Now that he's won an Oscar, he really yeah. Uh, they they decided that uh, we we're not going to meet your their reach. we're not going to meet your asking rate. So this it's time, not, in lieu of having any kind of story like we did in the first movie. It's just a road movie. It's it's the old let's do one last big performance story, <laughs> and you know it's like there there are there there are entertaining moments. I, when I was watching this movie, I actually was entertained quite a bit. But then the movie's two hours long. It is it feels too long? It's padded out with stuff. Now the interesting thing too to me is that Steven Soderbergh. He's one of these people who decided, all right, I'm going to retire from movies. I'm just going to work in TV from now on. A couple years ago he said this. He's the cinematographer, editor, and producer on this movie. And it basically feels like a Soderbergh movie. Wow. I think his assistant director is the director on it. Um, it has the feel of, like, Ocean's 12 in a way. Of, like, we're just watching characters hang out and have a good time. Only at least Ocean's 12 tried to have a plot. This movie has no plot. It has no story. You're just watching these characters ambling from one set piece to the other, doing their male stripping dances. Or, I'm sorry, male entertainer dances. Um, <laughs> that's their actual euphemism. There are some, like I said, there are some very funny moments here. Um, there's one set piece where a character tries to get a convenience store girl to smile by dancing to, to uh, Backstreet Boys in a convenience store. <laughs> and, um... Donald Glover shows up in this, which is weird. Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, you know, it just didn't really seem like they should... They kind of wasted their time with this. But, obviously, I'm sure the demographic got something out of it. Time. Ladies? Oh, for a moment I thought you had a stroke. <laughs> Jack is broken. Knock him against the head. Well, it's my podcast now. Alright, so ready, set, go. Roman Polanski's The Tenant. Okay. I don't know what Roman Polanski had to do with why he was so invested in this. Because yeah, because he, he directed acted in it, too. He, produ- he co-wrote it, and he acted in it, in the main role. Yeah. And he and from what I kn- I've heard, it kind of just fell into his lap, this movie. Hmm. Uh, it, it's not like it was some... Uh, like, someone else was supposed to direct it, and he basically just got it. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's called, like, the third... The third uh, movie in his apartment trilogy. Yeah, well, he did. Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. But it wasn't planned out that way. This movie, like, oh, yeah, there's no do you, want to, do you want to direct this? And he's like, oh, sure. But how did he get so invested in this? Uh, it's still, it's got that great Roman Polanski paranoia. There is some really good paranoia to this. It's a very strange movie, from yeah, what I remember Yeah, there's one about creepy it. scene where he's in an apartment which is in Europe so there's only one bathroom in the building and it's yeah. directly across from him uh-huh. and there's a person in the bathroom staring through the window at him. Like, not at his apartment. At him. <laughs> and it's done in a medium shot so it's like you don't see who it is and it's really far away but you know they're looking at you. You don't know it but your brain does. Yes, that's the great thing about this. Uh, that's the one great <clears throat> shot. And there, But then... The movie goes on, and in the third act, it really goes off the rails. It tips I, its I remember, it's not a great movie. Right, it, it tips its hand, and you realize what's going on, but there's still, like, 20 minutes of movie left. Yeah. Uh, so you're just like, alright, and, and, <laughs> and... And then and I think, doesn't he, like, show up in, like, a like in drag? Yeah, which is which I have to give him credit for. He really 
took put himself out there uh-huh. for this, dressing up in drag and doing some crazy, doing some crazy stuff. Well, it's plans. And I'm just, and I just don't know why he was so invested. The script is not great. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe he just felt the need to actually act in something that he directed. Yeah, but uh, I'll... Yeah. Time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The director of Two Men in a Wardrobe tries to make it as a star. <laughs> I just love that he made a movie called Two Men in a Wardrobe. It just... It sounds like a it bad was, romantic it was, comedy. It was a magical wardrobe, like in uh, C.S. Lewis books. Ah, there you go. See? That's not bad. All right. I, I uh, like that. Uh, Roman Polanski's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> All right. All right. You're next. Ready, set, go. All right. This is going to break your heart, Andrew. I saw the new Tarsum movie, Selfless, and it's not very good. I didn't think so. All right. So I, I was surprised when you mentioned that Selfless was a Tarsum movie. It doesn't. It mostly doesn't feel like a Tarsum movie. Maybe you know, in the first act, I feel like. It has a little bit of his visual flourish, because um, Ben Kingsley is this rich guy, and the short of it is he wants to keep living even though he has a terminal illness. Right. So um, Matthew Good has this whole medical facility where I can basically pull an avatar and put your consciousness into another body, right. and uh, so he does that. Uh, when you see Ben Kingsley's like home in like New York City, everything's like gold. Everything's very, like, colorful. And there are also some montages that felt like, okay, I'm going to try to put my visual impression on this material. But ultimately, the story is just kind of... Yeah, and it, it seems was like Tarzan <clears throat> is falling out of favor. He's basically taking whatever jobs he's. I have to wonder if that was it. I mean, I think maybe he probably looked at the premise of this and thought that there was some potential. Yeah. And then he read the script and he's like, "Oh, this seems a little more generic than I thought." Ah, oh, well, they're gonna give me money. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's like Ryan Reynolds. He's you know the other guy. You right. know, ben, when Ben Kingsley puts his body in him, so it's mostly Ryan Reynolds. Does movie. he act like Ben Kingsley? No. And he should have. That would have made it more interesting. He just Ryan Reynolds. That's tough. And you know, here's the thing that's most disappointing about this. I like this premise a lot. I like the idea of your consciousness going to another body. And this body has former memories. But the problem is they just tack on like basically a Jason Bourne type of story. Where this guy was like an ex-military op. And so he knows how to fight like a fucking badass. And uh, that it was just so disappointing. And there's one really weird car chase. Time. So I'd recommend it for that. All right. Yeah. Make more. Make more like ambitious artistic movies. Don't settle for mediocre. You know. That's for you, the audience. Yes. <laughs> Only you can protect Tarsum fires. Think, of, think about all the movie, like, the moments when we've, like, talked to directors, like, asked, what are you doing? As if, like, we really expected them to be listening to the podcast at the moment. Yeah. Well, maybe they are some. Which is why we have you, loyal fans. Yes, you loyal Relay fans. the message to others. All right. All right. Um, so, uh, you're up again, so, uh, go. All right, Cujo. Okay. The uh, one about the dog. Well, I know Stephen King's uh, Cujo. This was a this was a movie, of course, in the eighties, right? During the Stephen King craze. Yeah, uh, this reminds me a lot of The Shining. Okay. Uh, in in terms of structure, it's about a family falling apart. It's about uh, the, a family in peril. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it even has a sort of uh, a similar structure. Okay. Uh, 
No, but I imagine without Kubrick there, it's not as good. Well, I mean, it's a, basically, it's about a dog that goes crazy. But it's a really good premise. I mean, if you know anything about Cujo, it's about this rabid dog that menaces this family. Okay. Uh, and it's a really good premise because it's a very believable premise. It, hap- it, unfol- it, it unfolds in a very realistic way. How the family happens to get to this spot where the, where the dog is rabid. Uh, how they get caught there. Why they don't? They're in the, they're in this car car a Ford Pinto, and there's a good reason why they can't get away. And it doesn't feel contrived. Uh, it it feels very natural. Okay. Uh, and it is. Uh, and because it's such a good premise, and it unfolds in that way, uh, it feel uh, it doesn't become unbelievable, except for maybe one moment where the strength of the dog seems like a little weird. Yeah, but it doesn't get out of hand. Yeah, I feel like I saw the climax of this movie. At some point, and it was like a scene where they show the dog like leaping up to attack someone, and the dog looked like a supervillain. Right, and it's and it's and there are a lot of good horror movies that do this. Like there was a movie called like Deep Blue, I think, where like scuba divers get left behind, and they're caught in the middle of the ocean. No, it wasn't called Deep no, not, Blue. It I've, was called Open Water. Open Water. I've seen I that movie. That was, I got it wrong. Yeah, and, and even even a film like Duel, sure. uh, or 128 Hours. Mm-hmm. So Cujo is a good movie. That's it is a good movie. It's oh. it's got a lot of the Stephen King uh, trademarks, but they're not super exaggerated, and not anybody's an Time. asshole. <laughs> oh, but, well, that's always good. Um, he uh, he sometimes has that problem. Um, interesting, right. he, small piece of trivia. He wrote that entire book while he was high on coke. He said he has no memory of writing Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you know. Okay. Ready, set, go. Dope. Um, This is a new independent film. Here's how I would describe the movie in a nutshell. Uh, Scott Pilgrim meets Boys in the Hood. All right. Which sounds like a crazy company. Or or Scott Pilgrim meets Friday. It it follows these black nerds. Or rather, a a black nerd in uh, Inglewood, in in, uh, inner city Los Angeles. Um... You get a story that involves, like, oh, and you think it's going to be over the course of just 24 hours, like a Friday, where this kid goes to this party, and he, hap- ha- by a series of mishaps, a bag of drugs is put into his bag, and he now has to kind of sell the drugs somehow, even though he's not a drug dealer, he's like a kid who reads ma- an- manga, and plays in a punk band, and has a flat top, and, <laughs> you know, and he has, like, a couple of nerdy friends, who also are in the punk band, and um, it's a very, very fun, entertaining movie that uh, it is very clever. The script is so clever in the dialogue. I found myself laughing so loud through most of this movie, just certain quips and exchanges that you just don't expect <laughs> from it characters. It, well, it it might be gone by now. It wow. might be, you know, you might, of, of course it'll go to video, um, great soundtrack, uh, all the all so many great '90s hip hop songs uh, from that classic era. Um, again, just yeah, the kind of lines in this movie, um, like I don't know, there's an exchange where some guy is arguing with a girl, and he's like, like, uh, ha, you don't have the votes. And her return is, I'm George W. Bush. I don't give a fuck about the votes. And <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just an example. It's just, it, it takes its world seriously enough, but the characters and the situations bring out a lot of Time. humor. Alright. 
Um, but dope. It's worth seeing. I think you might actually like it, Andrew. All right, cool. I'll check it out when it's on DVD. Yeah. My Scott Pilgrim recommendation is not far-fetched either. It, ha- it even has, like, the romance angle to it. Cool. All right, let me open up my phone again. Um, okay. Um, uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Uh, another Mario oh. Bava film, Black Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate I didn't have to buy it. I saw it on YouTube. Uh, it's a movie about two men traveling through Eastern Europe, all of it, and uh, they come across <laughs> a castle where there are vampires. Yes. And uh, there's a family that lives above it. They're plagued by a curse, and it's eventually about realizing there are vampires and killing them. Yes, there's uh, a lot of... I, this I remember, is one of Mario Bava's early films, I think. Yeah, in the early because 60s. Because before that, he was like a set designer. And yes. this was like his step into directing. And like, uh, about the sets, you realize obviously everything is a set. Yes. All the exteriors are sets. It's kind of like an old Universal film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind, it, it's, this is kind of like uh, an heir to the Universal era. Mm-hmm. Because it's just working with the same concepts. It's like about realizing, uh, you know, vampires coming to life, uh, weird little things like that. There is a problem, though. We get more than halfway through the film, and people still haven't established that they're dealing with vampires. So I'm, like, so it's a moment where you really just wish <laughs> George Clooney was around. Yeah, like, George Clooney from from, 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 uh, uh, from oh, oh okay. All right. Can we all agree that we're dealing with vampires? <laughs> I mean, because the audience knows. Like, even back in the 50s when this came out, everyone was like... Every audience member knew what vampires as were soon as you see, did. As soon as you see the teeth, and you know it's nighttime, and it involves somebody's neck. Yeah. So it's like 20 minutes and... It, it's 20 minutes until the end, and they're like, oh, maybe this is vampires. <laughs> it takes a sweet time. Uh, There's a, I, I kind of remember there being a lot of, like, gothic hard to it. Well, it's... It, it looks very good. It's, uh... And it is kind of reminiscent of Hammer, in a way. Hammer, yeah, that's why I kind of remember but... Uh, but it's a very simple story, and it's a little too simple. Very Time. little happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I did like that. I, I, I forget... I sometimes got that and Black Sabbath confused, but I think Black Sabbath was the anthology film, and Black Sunday had a full... You may be right. ...story. I'd have to look it up. It's been a while. But, um... Yeah, Black, Black Sunday. He had a lot of black movies, or uh, neg, or was it in Italian like Negro, maybe or Negri, whatever. You don't speak Italian. I I took a couple of Italian classes, and I probably failed them. <laughs> All right. Okay, Ray. Ready, set, go. Paolo Alto. Um, can you believe it that I'm going to surprise you, Andrew? We now have. Three generations of Coppola filmmakers. You don't say. Yeah, I, I, I do say. Um, this is the first film from Francis Ford Coppola's granddaughter, uh, Gia Coppola. And right. what she decided to do was to take um, a book of short stories uh, written by James Franco uh, and make into a movie about uh, the suburban kids growing up in Palo Alto, California. Um this is a kind of movie that, at first, I was a little worried. I thought the whole movie was just going to be following these kids partying all the time. Um, but the movie gets better as it goes along, I found. I got more invested in the characters. Uh, um, specifically, James Franco is in the movie, too. He plays a soccer coach. 
and huh. he kind of grows feelings for uh, the main female character, played by Emma Roberts, um, uh, and some things happen between them I won't get into. Um, there's also another storyline involving uh, this kid who has to do all his community service, at first, he doesn't take it seriously, but then he actually gets a genuine emotional connection with this woman in an old age home. Alright. Uh, and then there's Sounds one... good? I did like the movie, ultimately. I, I could see it getting criticism from uh, people, because it does have a bit of an aimless flavor to it. Um, it it's, its plot isn't its strong suit. It's more about following these characters through... Uh, these, you know, teenage growing situations. Everything is presented very realistically. It's not like your typical teenage drama comedy type of thing. Hmm. Um, there's also a very disturbed kind of supporting character played by Nat Wolf, uh, who you'll see in Paper Towns. Uh, he's like the live wire crazy kid who keeps messing with other kids. Like, oh, why don't you go crazier? And Bye. people tell him no. All right. Palo Alto. I like just like saying that. Alright. <laughs> um, crazier, Jack. Crazier. Yeah. And good for James Franco, I guess. Um, Alright, ready, set, go. Uh, Friday the 13th. The original Friday the 13th. Had you ever seen this? No. Really? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Halloween came out in 1979. Yeah. And it set the stage for new for the slasher film. Yeah. And, after, and I've seen... I've seen uh, Hellraiser, I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street, and I just saw Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th was like the second one that came out. Pretty, I mean, there was like a wave of slasher movies right. following Halloween. This was one of them. Right. And I, st and, I, and I can confirm that Halloween did it first, and it did it best. Yeah, Friday the 13th, I remember when I, mean, when I saw it when I was younger, I guess I enjoyed it, but I had lower standards then. Yeah. But it does have a lot of the Cabin in the Woods... Uh, Marking points. Oh, of course. The Harbinger appears nine minutes into the film. Yeah. <laughs> it also takes a lot from Halloween's uh, POV shots. It steals a ton from Halloween. The whole movie opens like and it Halloween. it steals a lot from Psycho, including some of its music. <laughs> yeah, but and the it steals strings. a little from Jaws, <laughs> in terms from of Jaws. music. I it turns, guess. It turns out Jason's really a shark. No, uh, <laughs> well, for all we know. But it steals so liberally from everything else. It's completely shameless. And, um, yeah, and it just and it's kind of kind of works in the way uh, Blood and Black Lace does. It just follows different characters who get killed in succession, uh, and we really don't feel an attachment to them. Texas Chainsaw Massacre did the same thing, granted, but uh, but at least the the setting was stronger, and we yeah. had an idea of who how grotesque these villains were, yeah, uh, and everything else. So uh, so even those earlier films still did it much better. Yeah, it it did set about set the summer camp as a location for future horror films. And oh, yeah. it's worth mentioning. The summer camp used in this camp Novi Bosco in New Jersey, Columbia, New Jersey. Not Columbia. Blair's well, it was shot by Columbia. What time? <laughs> there, you you know where Columbia, New Jersey is? No. It's like right by uh, the border of oh, New when Jersey. You said I, when, you, when you said shot by Columbia, New Jersey, I thought they were doing the shooting. No, it, the, no, the town of Columbia, New Jersey. I could see why you'd think. <laughs> Alright, never mind. No, because I remember it because, like, years ago, when I was in college, a friend of mine did, like, a zombie short, and I acted in it, and he shot it in Columbia, New Jersey, and he commented when we were out there, oh, you know, they shot Friday the 13th out here. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh okay. okay. They probably did the town scenes in there. Yeah, maybe. I went to that camp. 
So this and is I recognize like, is the in, lake. Oh, I I had been there. It was. I feel uh, like they might have shot some of it in Sussex County too. Well, it is in Sussex County. Okay. Yeah, that's where the can. Well, maybe not Sussex County. It's a little confused, but it's in New Jersey. Yes. And I've been there. Mm-hmm. So you should be nice to me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> All right, it's your turn. All right, last film. Yeah, pretty much. All right. I was at that camp. Go. Um, John Carpenter's The Thing. All right, so you watched this again. I did. I've seen this. You watched one. it with the commentary. I did. I decided to watch it with the commentary. And what did you learn? Um, well, I mean, for one thing, um, the, the shoot, making this movie was apparently very difficult. Everybody kind of had a miserable time because, uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, because of the nature of how they had, of where they shot, they either filmed this in British Columbia, like, outside at night, or they shot on sets where they had to make everything refrigerated to uh, intense degree. So they could see their breath. Oh, yeah, yeah, for that, too. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there, were, there were some, like, talks about how... Um, uh, I'm just watching it again. I, I was just reminded of how... If you, Who was doing the commentary? Well, uh, Carpenter and Kurt Russell. All right. They were having a lot of fun watching it, though. They were, like, laughing at a lot of parts that, you know, you wouldn't think are quite funny, but Kurt Russell, like, in the scene where the head grows the crab legs and walks yeah. out, and the guy turns like, you gotta be fucking kidding. Like, Kurt Russell, you just hear him, like, laugh, burst out laughing. <laughs> um, and you hear John Carpenter smoking through a lot of it. Uh, poor guy. I'm worried he's going to die of lung cancer or something. He he just looks bad when you see him nowadays. Um, this is one of those movies, and I'm going to talk about this more later on the podcast, yeah. but um, this is a, still a movie that genuinely scares me. Every time I watch it, I am, like, really scared. Like, the, the I feel like the, the mood that they set with this movie... You know, as they talk about in the commentary too, everybody they took it all seriously. They committed to it. Nobody makes any snarky comments. You know, the characters are all very much like, okay, we're dealing with this problem. One of us might be the thing. Nobody trusts each other. Oh, and also they realized after the fact it was a par- It was a. Um, uh, can I just say it? Okay. It was analogous to AIDS. Okay, cool. Uh, for the period, um, but they didn't think that while they were making it. It was after the fact. And I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, so that was the two-minute movie mile, everybody. And if you've seen any of these movies and want to talk about them a little more, send us a message. Yes, you can find us on uh, The Wages of Cinema at Facebook. You can search us under The Wages of Cinema Podcast. Uh, We're also on iTunes. Please subscribe, and if you dig us, write us a review. And you can send us an email at at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. All right. When we come back, we'll get to our list movies. Jack will continue his conversation in uh, about a certain movie that we just talked about. Yeah, you'll have to guess which one it is. And I'll be I'm, talking about other things. And I'm testing your attention span right now. <laughs> Pay attention, kids. See you in a few. Straight out of our lids. Them, they got boo bodies, Harvard Brooklyn kids. Us floor rush when the DJ booming classics. You leave the crew on the fattest hip hop record. He touched the kinks and sinks into the sounds. She frequents deep, fatter joints called undergrounds. Our funk zooms like you hit the Mary Jane. They flock to booms, man, boogie had to change. Who 
freaks the clips with mad amount of percussion. Where kinky hair goes to unthought of dimensions. Why is it so fly? Cause hip hop kept some drama. When butterfly rock the light blue suede pants. What by the cut? We push it off the corner. How was the buzz entire hip hop era? Was fresh in fact since they started saying Audi. Cause funk's made fat from right beneath my hood. The poober of the styles like miles and shit. Like 60s funky worms with waves and perms. Just sending junky rhythms right down your block. We beat to rap, what key beat to lock, but I'm cool like that. 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 I'm cool. Like that. I'm cool.